Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCP 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I am Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is here to save the day. I'm here for you, Al. I'm spending more time with you than my wife. She's getting jealous. Well, she, she should look out. She should be, man. right? Yeah. yeah, she should be. You know, handsome, desirable man. Like you. Like you. Yeah, and how uh, old are you now? 62? Exactly. Good guess. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't. I don't date seniors. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Just I actually, tell, yeah, I, I'm me. now on the discount menu in many restaurants now. It's, that's a new world. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Some of the, a lot of the drugstores too. You know, 55 and old, older, and you get uh, yep the 20 off. You know, I've got them logged in my phone, so I know what day it's 20 off. Yeah, I just signed up for something yesterday. It's for my birthday. I find myself scrolling back. To, it takes me a while to scroll back to 1960. <laughs> yeah, I might as well just get something to drink while I'm going from 2020 to 1960. Yeah, yeah. They 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 just don't think there's anyone alive that right. old. You know, happens a lot. So, well, let's see. Now today we are talking mystery, and we've got a new writer debut, debutante. So, Miss Alex 
Kenna, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, Alex, so you've written a book. Uh-oh. came out December 6th, and it's called What Meets the Eye? A Mystery. So um, I have to ask you, um, what made you decide to write this book? Well, um, to be honest, uh, I was, uh, during the pandemic, I, I had a relatively high-risk pregnancy and was pretty much stuck at home with nothing to do except watch lots of TV and let my imagination run wild. So that kind of uh, kind of got me thinking, um, and I sort of uh, decided to to try my hand at it. Um, and at the, at the same time, uh, my husband and I were binging this really nerdy show called Fake or Fortune, where, you know, British people try to figure out whether they have a, a great masterpiece or whether they have just a you know, just a fake. Um, and then we, I had forgery on the brain and, and tried to see if I could, could write a book along those topics. Well, but that takes, that takes, it's, it's quite a bit of work to do a book. Like, you know, uh, put it all together, write it, get it edited, published in the whole thing. So what actually made you do that other than, you know, you're sitting there watching some, some wild show and you kind of get some cool ideals in your head and stuff like that but wasn't there didn't you feel a little bit scared um i not really i i actually wrote another book that's not published before this one and i think um because i went to art school i think starting out wasn't as scary for me as a lot of writers because i had spent so many years looking at a blank canvas and was kind of used to you know the fact that you know when you're making a painting it looks pretty terrible for a long period of time until you kind of get it polished so I think I I think I I wasn't that intimidated about kind of the starting process, and then um, and then once I got started, I um, I just I didn't put um, a lot of pressure on myself to um, to make it perfect in one go. I kind of knew I'd be coming back and finessing it a lot. So yeah, that was kind of the approach I took. Wow, and and you're pretty happy with how it turned out. Obviously. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, you know, there obviously when you always like think of little tiny things and you're like, oh, that word, I should have used a synonym. But, um, you know, other than, other than the nitpicking stuff, yeah, no, I'm happy how it turned out. Well, that's always going to go on. I think that, uh, with, with writers, um, uh, you know, I've always had that where you look back at an older book and you can always see things that you would do different because you grow period as you live through your life you know you just kind of keep getting more and more so that's you know that's that's going to be a natural oh definitely i think i think we get addicted to editing and you know we could at some point we have to sort of set a timer because if you if you leave us alone we'll edit you know we'll spend years and years and years in editing something to death yeah i you talked about that art show and your art background art's a theme of the book is that correct that's an under, underlying storyline yeah basically um my the, I guess the the primary figure in my book is is kind of a low rent PI. She's an ex uh, LAPD officer, and uh, she had an accident which led to a pill addiction, and she's kind of uh, at a, at a low point. And she gets hired to look into the suspected suicide of a famous artist, and so that kind of uh, goes down a, that goes leads her down a trail of of you know various criminal activity uh, with art forgery and a lot of other things. Did you have to do extra? art forgery research, even though you had an art background? I did. Um, I thought, yeah, I definitely did a lot of research on the forgery end of things, um, kind of like the technical um, the technical side of things. And also I wanted to kind of get a, a better sense of how different players would uh, would respond in the art world. I was sort of interested in the, um, in the idea of um, like 
how how common this is and how easy it is to get away with it. So that part was definitely a lot more research. Well, how common is it? Is it something that it happens a lot? Yeah, I think it's especially it kind of um, it also kind of depends on the time period. It's it's also a lot easier to catch with with older art because as um, different uh, different paints and different techniques that were used in, in one era. Uh, are a lot more easy to te- detect forensically. So I was kind of interested in in creating a scenario of forging a contemporary artist where it would be a lot harder to trace because you don't have the same scientific ways of um, of figuring out whether something is what it's purporting to be. Now, now Kate Mil- Miles, okay, that that's kind of the detective you're talking about or the ex-detective that hurt herself and now she's uh, a P.I.? Yep, that's the, that's the main character. So who is Kate? So she, um, yeah, she worked for LAPD for a long time. She was a homicide detective. And then she she has an accident, and it basically causes her to lose her family. And she ends up quitting her job. And when I was writing her, I was really interested in kind of the idea of somebody who has something happen that basically completely changes the way they see themselves and kind of changes um, the kind of aspects of their life that form their identity. Because we all, you know, we think of ourselves as a writer. You know, you might think of yourself as a cop if that's your profession. And, uh, you know, you think of yourself as a mother and and kind of what happens when all of that is, is kind of stripped away and a person has to kind of rebuild themselves from scratch. So I was, I was really interested in exploring that with her. And I was also kind of really interested in, um, in looking at her as an imperfect mother uh, and kind of the... In, in crime fiction in particular, there's a lot of terrible fathers and terrible fathers always get away with it. And it's fine. And we're like, OK, well, you know, he's down and out. Um, and then we kind of have a double standard uh, with with mothers where they either have to be in fiction. You know, they're a monster or, you know, they're put on a pedestal. And, you know, I was um, thinking a lot about kind of Ted Lasso during the pandemic, where like if you replaced him with a female character and you had a female character who, um, you know, was so adorable that they had a midlife crisis and moved, you know, across the world to a job they were unqualified with and left their kid behind. People would be jumping, people would be jumping down their throat. Like that would be, that would not fly. So I wanted to, you know, I was interested in kind of having a character who is, you know, ultimately a good mother, but not a perfect mother and is kind of struggling with that and kind of, you know, pushing a little bit on that double standard. So did you start with her and her imperfections, or did you start with the forgery art plot? What came first, the character or the or the, or the setting, the plot? I think I I bet definitely the characters. Um, I I'm definitely not an outliner. I kind of take it one chapter at a time. So I thought a lot. So Kate and Margot kind of took center stage, and I was kind of trying to build them as I went. Um, and so yeah, for Kate, I was thinking about you know where she was in this point of time, what were her struggles. Uh, and then for Margot, I was, um, I was, you know, I didn't want to just kind of have a, a stereotypical, you know, character where she, you know, just kind of alluding to the fact that she makes art, um, you know, alluding to the fact that, you know, she's a little bit unstable. I wanted to kind of build her as a complete person and think about, you know, what would her art look like? Who was she looking at? Who were her influences in that world? Uh, and then, um, you know, try to, and I was interested in trying to, uh, figure out how maybe some of Margot's more insane art projects could be kind of built into the plot and maybe, um, you know, whether I could kind of blur the line between 
art and crime, uh, which I don't want to go too much into without um, having some spoilers. But um, I have definitely kind of conceived of the characters and tried to imagine them as three-dimensional people before I started putting the book together. Now, with with Kate, again, how do you experience your uh, character like that? Like, do you... um consider her to be close to you, a family member? Do you hear voices? Do you see it like a movie? How does that work for you when you've got a main character? I wouldn't say that I consider her as a family member, but I would say that I probably have a lot in common with her in terms of personality structure. Um, she's like, she's very disorganized, which in organizational is not my strong suit. Uh, you know, she, she's got some self-doubts issues. I would say that I empathize a lot with her. Um, but I was also, you know, very conscious of the fact that I wasn't writing myself. I, I was, so there were definitely certain parallels in my life, I think, in some ways, in that, you know, when I, I was writing about a person who was feeling very displaced, and I was writing at a time where I was, you know, semi-locked in my house for all kinds of, all kinds of reasons. So I think she was probably somebody who I empathized with a lot, but I was also conscious uh, that I wasn't her. It, like, I could never... I could never be a police officer in part just because I'm extremely unbrave and I hate working out. So, you know, even even just on that kind of superficial level, that was she would have been a very different person from me. And I needed to kind of factor that in. The addiction part of that, was that hard for you to research and kind of get into and write about uh, as as one of your characters? That was definitely something that I did a lot of research on. I mean, it was it was a topic that I had on, on my mind. I, I do have someone in my life who has struggled a lot with addiction. Uh, and that was also a reason that I, I wanted to make sure that this was a, a more nuanced character. Um, and I think, I think also that was, a, that was one of the, one of the reasons I was a little bit interested in bringing that element into her character was also for creating the sense of displacement. Um, you know, this was a person who, who, you know, was involved in law enforcement and who had, you know, probably had some very negative ideas about addiction before she circumstances led her down this, this kind of dark path. And so it's another, another uh, element where she's kind of reconciling with who she is and, and where she wants to go from here. But that was definitely, I, I did a lot of reading in, on my own and tried to try to make her seem as authentic as possible. Yeah. I was going to say, because it's a pretty, pretty um, intense subject when someone's, um, addicted enough that they're losing their job and losing a lot of stuff going through that turmoil. So at it, uh, to get into the head of someone like that and to try and write that character, I would say would be um, to make it to make it real. You have to really put a lot a lot of work into it. Yeah, and I I also kind of wrote her when when she was on the mend. So I when I when her story picks up, she's turned a corner, she's put a lot of work in, she's you know, she's her issue had been chronic pain from an accident. So she's you know, she's had surgery and she's um she's basically trying to pick herself up off the floor and bring herself back into a place where she can get custody of her daughter again. Um so, you know, that was something I was that was, you know, a challenge to write of you know, somebody who's trying to, you know, put in this Herculean effort to get back to where they were and kind of create a, a healthy new normal, but is still fighting with their demons. Is that one of the major themes of the book is people overcoming the obstacles that confront them? I I wouldn't say so. Um, I think, I mean, Margot didn't, she's dead. Um, but I think, um, I think for Kate, I think that probably 
just the, you know, I think that probably just kind of, you know, rebuilding and, um, and trying to kind of create a new normal is kind of a big theme of her character. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a theme of the book as a whole. Well, do you have an underlying subtext then? Do you, would it, that even came out organically as you were writing it? Like at the end of the book, when someone reads it, are they just going to get the, uh, pulse-pounding tapestry of secrets and retribution or an action, or are they going to pick up something? Yeah, I think that there's, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot about revenge. I think there's a lot about, um, there's actually a lot about kind of authenticity, and there were some some kind of nerdier themes that I was thinking about, you know, in terms of like the art portion of the book. Um, so I think I think so, I think you could kind of read it either way. You could kind of read it with more of an interest in in the book as an as an exploration of the art world and and different themes in contemporary art. Uh, and I think you could also read it as as a thriller. And I think they both kind of coexist. Are are, are you thinking of turning this into a series or or having your character show up in another book? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm probably two thirds of the way through with the sequel. So that's that's been fun. I've been uh, it's a very different book um, and I'm taking Kate in a very different direction with a different setting. So, yeah, ideally, I would definitely like to take it into a series. So is Kate running a children's school or something or? No, no children's school. She's uh, still still doing the, the P.I. thing. But I think I think she's probably in a in a somewhat healthier place. What's your what's your writing structure like? Like um, when you sit down to write like you have these ideas can you or can you just fly off and write on a whim no problem i wouldn't say no no problem i would i would say i do it kind of in in spurts and then i take a break but i guess right now i think just um because of timing i I have a i work full-time and i have a toddler so you know writing is it's very much jumping on the opportunity it's like he's napping all right where's my computer um, and then, of course, he'll wake up 15 minutes later. But um, so I think just kind of by necessity, I, I kind of have to just jump on my computer and start furiously typing um, until uh, until, you know, the next the next responsibility kind of takes over. Your uh, main characters are female. How did you find difficulty or how did you get in the heads of the male characters? I ask the same question when I'm going from male character, male writers or to have female leads. How, how do you get into the the mind or the reality of the opposite sex? You know, I really didn't, I don't think I really found that a challenge. Like I don't, I don't feel like if my gender is a major component of my identity, it, it's kind of just a happenstance. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that that was really a major factor for me. I think like my, my first book that I, that's not published, my main character was male and I really didn't find, um, I didn't really find that harder to write. I think, um, if anything, though, writing female characters, I think right now is a, it's kind of an opportunity because there's in recent fiction there's been such an explosion of complicated female characters that are less kind of um, simplified and archetyped driven. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to kind of explore that and, and create characters that really didn't exist as much in fiction, you know, 20 years ago. But um, I don't. I don't know if I necessarily find women easier to write. Well, who do you read? Um, well, a lot of mystery, a lot of mysteries, but I'm kind of all over the place right now. But um, I, probably in terms of my writing, I would say that Tanner French probably influenced me the most. Um, 
in part because she's who I picked up when I was sort of trying to teach myself how to write as, you know, like this is a, this is a superb craftsman and I want to sort of see how she does it. But uh, I definitely, definitely read a lot of mysteries, definitely read a lot of thrillers. So what do you, what do you think you've learned from publishing doing this book? Well, it's, it's definitely been an interesting process. I mean, even uh, I think the editing process has, has taught me a tremendous amount. Like my, my editor um, is, she's brilliant. And if just from Twitter, she has, has a small cult following, but um, having, um, and, you know, I think probably the, the most exciting part of, of publishing is just having really talented people look at your work and then give you constructive feedback. So that's been, that's been pretty amazing. What do you, what do you like best about writing? I'm trying to think how to answer that question. I think, I mean, just kind of when you went that kind of feeling of just creating a world when everything starts to come together, like the, you know, creating a character and that character starts to have a voice and then that person starts to to do something. I think, I think probably, you know, when in that initial flow, I think when, before you start editing, when you realize that you're, you know, you're kind of onto something that's, that's very exciting. What advice would you give to someone that was in your place? They have a book in a drawer somewhere and they've never, never made the move to, to try and publish something. What would you tell them to do? Well, I would say, first of all, you have nothing to lose. If if it's in your drawer now, if you don't try, it's still going to be in your drawer. Um, But I would also say be really strategic um, and then go in uh, without being afraid of rejection because you're going to get a ton of it. And I think I'm in, I'm in kind of a weird position where I had, I submitted to like oodles of literary agents and, you know, I like either I, I got some no's, I got some, some, you know, silence. One person rejected me three years after I submitted it. And in the meantime, I'd written another book and a half. So that was interesting. Um, but I think, uh, and then I ultimately just submitted directly to a publisher and that worked out, but, uh, just, I think, um, I would say probably if you're if you're going to try this for the first time, don't look for this is kind of the opposite of what people usually tell you. But I would say, you know, don't look at it like you're trying to find a husband when you're looking for an agent or if you're looking for a publisher. Um, Go for the um, go for the multitude. Apply everywhere. Send it, you know, send it to a million people. And then you only need one person to to give you a yes. Yeah, that's all. That's all it takes. What do you think you're going to be doing in a long period time here? Do you think you try to do a different type of, of genre in writing, or are you going to kind of stick to this? I think ultimately I'd like to do at least a couple more with this um, with this character. I think that there's a lot of potential. Uh, and I, I'm i definitely very interested in, in staying within the genre. I, I like the structure that kind of comes with it. Um, you know, people always get interested when there's a body, so I think at least for the time being, I, I think I would want to stick with mysteries and thrillers. But I mean, think there's there's definitely certain subgenres that I wouldn't mind dipping my toes into. You're writing a sequel and, and you want to write more. How are you approaching those sequels? You're starting with how you want your main characters to develop or you want to, uh, the story once again? I think it's both. Uh, I think I in terms of my main character, I, I kind of I'm thinking about like the arc that her life would be taking and, and trying to make that um, that feel authentic and not just kind of erase everything that happened in the first book. But, um, you know, then separately 
there's the case that she's investigating. And I'm thinking about how the people involved in in that case would operate. So I'm sort of kind of trying trying to weave it together. And as she's as she's working on that case, uh, she's also dealing with her own stuff. So how many people have you written about that you knew? Mm, I don't know if I should. <laughs> well, I mean, do you, do you, do you, well, let's, let's get the details. I want yeah. name, names, age, phone numbers. No, what exactly happens in, in when you see these characters? Sometimes they're people you know, and sometimes they're people you've seen, I imagine, in a bookstore or a grocery store or who knows, character and um do you do you end up using some of them? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I think for um, for Kate, just I I was a, a DA for five years, and there were some just you know really cool, amazing female police officers who I interacted with all the time. So you know, I think on on like a, on a larger scale, not like in terms of the nitty gritty, but I definitely would kind of think about some of those people and think about how they might react to a situation. Um, I think, and then the the art world aspect of things there are some characters who are very inspired by people who i've encountered uh just like uh there's one scene in the book where there's a character who's dealing with a sadistic art professor um and you know that sadistic art professor is very inspired by two people who i had taken art class with just who are kind of a kind of a mashup or i had worked in an art gallery briefly um after I graduated from college. And I think that was, that was especially, I think, informative for this book because I worked there right when the great recession started. And I, you know, within, you know, I was, you know, really young and within like a month I went from making, you know, more money than I'd ever thought I'd make in my twenties to making nothing. And I kind of saw the dark influences of watching the economy collapse on the people who were involved in, working in this in this gallery. And so I kind of thought back on some of the people who I met during that experience and those definitely informed a lot of the characters in the book. Well, what did you like to write better, the Kate or the sadistic art person? <laughs> um it's different, I think. Um it, it definitely had fun writing the art characters, but I think it I would try not to be too self-indulgent. I think even like there, that one of the the sadistic uh, art professor, like he was. In, I took a class once, which I dropped after one session, where the um, professor was like a clown fetishist, and he made us listen to this music that was like a, you know, it was like Barnum and Bailey's meets porn. And then we had to draw this woman in a clown mask. And initially, I I started putting that in the book, and my husband read the draft, and he's like, "Okay, you got to scale this back." I I realized that this happened, but. You know, this is a little self-indulgence. No, people are going to think it's over the top. So that was, you know, I kind of had to had to work on that a little bit. Um, and then I think Kate is just was it's just kind of an, a different kind of challenge when you're writing a number, a large number of chapters from one person's perspective, and you want to make sure that you kind of explore all the different things that would be going through their mind, and and make sure that they don't that they kind of they they kind of feel like a flesh and blood person, and and not too much just like a vehicle for telling the story. Were there any surprises for you, like in doing this, especially with art and you being in the art world so much? But when you were actually putting the book together and stuff, was there anything that kind of you learned from it? From just the process of putting a book together? Yeah. Um. I mean, I think. I mean, just learning how to put a book together. I think that that I think is um, 
is probably is the biggest thing that I learned. And, you know, if I think about my, the book that I didn't publish versus this one, you can, you know, I, I kind of want almost want to go back and like sort of cringe about things about the earlier manuscript. Cause I think you just have to kind of learn how learn by doing, which is, you know, the one thing they always tell you when you're, when you're learning how to write is, um, you know, show don't tell and you, you know, learning how to give a sense of a person without just kind of, you know, resorting to description. So I think uh, I would say probably the biggest thing I learned is just kind of the process of, of making a book and, and what a book should feel like. That's interesting. So yeah. when, you, when you're in uh, the middle of the pandemic and there's all of this wild stuff going on and a lot of stress to be dealt with and, and things like that, does that affect your writing? Does it kind of get in your in the way, or does it make your writing darker? Do you think? I mean, my writing would be dark. I, just, you know, I I was the kid who read Goosebumps. Like, you know, I I like murder mysteries. I, you know, I I like true crime. Um, there's there's just no there's no scenario where I would be a romance writer, even though I you know have the utmost respect. So I don't I don't know if my writing got darker because of the pandemic. Um, I think honestly, I think other than just basically you know putting certain I, certain themes in my head about, you know, like kind of feelings of dislocation. I think the the biggest difference that the pandemic kind of brought was just time. And, you know, which, you know, on, on the one hand, there were a lot of really dark, difficult things about that time period. But uh, in terms of like time to actually be able to sit down and focus on writing, that was, you know, in some ways a blessing. Yeah, kind of good and bad. Social media. Are you playing a lot with social media? Do you have a website? Um, do you how do you like to connect with people that read your books? Yeah, it's it's been a new that's been a new experience. I, I sort of had a non-active Facebook account that I, you know never never looked at other than to see you know who's gotten married and who's had a baby. And um, since um, since starting this process, I started a Twitter account, and it's actually been a really positive experience. I only had to block. You, you know, one crazy person. Um, so I, I, which probably makes me pretty lucky. Um, but uh, it's actually been really amazing to see just how supportive everybody is of each other. I mean, strangers, they, they comment on your, when you, you know, when you're celebrating something, you know, they just, they share each other's work. It, it's, it, there really is a huge community and, you know, you know, people who are hugely successful, you know, reaching down and, and commenting and reaching out. Uh, and, and it's actually, I, I was nervous kind of getting involved because social media gets such a bad rap, but um, for me, it's actually been a really positive experience. We're actually connected on Twitter. Did you know that? Well, there you go. We're following each other. <laughs> That's right. I thought we, I thought we thought you were. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice account. <laughs> It's clean. Yeah. But do you think about the uh, reviews? Do you follow reviews and what people say? I did for I did at first. Um, I think I, I was I was lucky in that for a number of months I basically had exclusively good reviews, and so I had that kind of luxury. And I was like, oh, this is great. Let me read another one. And then I got my first total nasty gram review, and then I thought, okay, it's you know it's it's probably better for my mental health to just kind of to kind of check this out. So, um, yeah, I think, I think at this point I'm, I'm trying to just not review, read reviews because I know that, um, I'll sit there and obsess and about in a, in a not healthy way. Alex, you talked about your process and you, you write when you, when you can, but how has the idea of being a quote unquote writer 
changed your perspective on yourself and your life? I have to say it's been really validating. And as I've been, you know, kind of like a, you know, an amateur artist for my whole adult life, um, you know, more in the visual sphere, but it is really, there is something really validating about being able to do something in the arts and actually get some attention for it, where it's, you know, taking out it outside of, of the hobby realm. And, you know, I think, probably a lot of us have a touch of imposter syndrome we're you know thinking about like how am i here how is this happening but um you know i think just you know i do think that it's certainly for me like getting getting something published and getting it out into the world is, has been very validating from, from a lot of old high school friends i know i know that person i know a writer oh yeah no I'm, it's it's been nice like people start reaching out who you haven't heard from in a long time and Oh, yeah, I think you're money. Hemingway. You wrote a book. Yeah. You're Hemingway. Uh, how much of your own life experience have you put into this, uh, into your character, main character, or some any of the characters? I, I think I would say I put a lot of, quite a bit of life experience in in uh, in both of my main characters in this book. I think even just kind of little things like I I was hit by a drunk driver in my twenties, and you know I didn't have like I didn't have Kate's kind of devastating consequences, but just that, you know, that experience, I, I was also very consciously aware that things could have been a lot worse. And so, you know, that was something that I had, that it was a factor. Um, I think I also had a, you know, I had a kid sort of partway through writing this book. And so, you know, going back and editing things, I, you know, I definitely had to, I definitely made a lot of adjustments because I think when you don't have kids, you don't, totally understand how they affect kind of your your daily way of thinking so i think that was something that that changed a lot kind of in the revision phases of of this book and then for margo i think the way she thinks about art was very similar to the way that i think about art uh, so the i you know like she talks about certain artists that i like although there's one or two that i threw in there who don't i don't like but she's a character um and then i kind of uh you know, I, I was kind of coming up with the types of projects that she would do, but it was also kind of fun because, you know, I imagined things that I might do if I drew better. You know, I, I draw okay, but I'm not any kind of art genius. And it was sort of a luxury to be able to have this character who I was writing who, you know, was this brilliant draftsman and this art genius. And I could have, you know, little fantasy art projects that, you know, I would a, a different version of myself with more talent might have been able to execute. So in terms of the way she kind of thinks creatively and the way that she, um, that she works in that sphere was, you know, somewhat taken from my personality structure, if not my life. Well, let's stick with think creatively. Uh, I know your husband cut out the crazy clown professor <laughs> after you read it, but uh, as you're writing, did you ever say, I need to, not write this given the time, date. Now, I don't want to say cancel yourself, which is too easy a phrase, but were there times you wrote and say, you know what, I don't think I should include this in the book. I need to, something will happen. Some, someone's not going to like it. It may be misinterpreted. Did I ever come up, come about as you were writing? Oh, definitely. I think, especially on the revisionary phase, I think I, I have one character who's um, very unattractive. He's kind of a villain. And he had some, he said some pretty awful things, um, where I kind of went back and I wanted to uh, convey the sense that this person is a bit of a bigot and this person is obviously not an attractive character, but 
I think it's also important to be conscious of the fact that um, that people read things and people come from all different experiences. And I think that it's important to kind of walk the line um, between writing something that's authentic and not over sanitizing. But if you can convey that same message and if you can create the same character with maybe without including, um, you know, certain words or, you know, certain exchanges that some people could find really triggering, I think it it can make sense to to go for the the more slightly more sanitized route as long as you're not losing any kind of authenticity. So I definitely there were a couple specific things where I kind of went back and I thought, okay, maybe I can phrase this differently. Are you kind of applying that now to the the draft of your next book in advance? Are you thinking about that more as you're writing the first draft? I uh, yeah, I think I'm thinking I think I'm thinking a lot about it with the with the first draft, I have um, a character who struggles with a lot of issues, um, a lot of mental issues, a lot of other issues. And I think I've definitely been thinking a lot about how to convey this person's problems in a way that's um, not completely insensitive and also um, that's multidimensional. I think one thing that I definitely, I think that one thing that can be harmful is to basically put a character out who, who a lot of people might identify with, but who you kind of overly simplify. And I think that, I think that's in some ways um, just as dangerous as describing something in an insensitive way. I think if you put somebody out who, who really should have the, the potential to be multidimensional and to really talk about a lot of things, but they come out as just kind of like a, you know, an outline or, or a caricature. I think that that's, that can also be harmful. So is there anybody um, that you knew in your life that you um, wanted to be killed in your book? <laughs> <laughs> you always ask that question. I do. Because I get I guess <laughs> when I get the yeses, I'm I'm fascinated when someone goes, Yeah, there is this person that and I think that's great. So Um, I would say there's plenty of people in my life. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go out. I mean, there's, you know, there's, I, without going into detail, I think there's one person in my life who I would love to make a villain, and that's not pragmatically possible. But if circumstances ever change, that person is 100% going in a book with as many nasty, nasty characteristics as I can include. Does your husband know? <laughs> oh, he's well aware. Yeah, I thought maybe it'd be him. <laughs> no, I, I, I've been very lucky. At my, my husband's, um, very indulgent and um helps me helps me you know find stolen hours to write so i can't i can't complain on that front well that's yeah. actually a good question then go yeah then you're asked the same thing tell me about the support network that you have behind you as you're writing the husband helping with time anybody else you reach out to anything else you've done as a to help you in your new endeavor yeah well, i think i mean time is kind of the biggest factor i think so um you know my husband and and my mother-in-law is also been incredibly helpful in watching the baby i think just you know finding finding days to go back and do some editing you know he goes in and stays with his grandmother or you know my husband will will take him to the park so i can steal some hours to write here and there and and that's just been um been so critical uh and you know i have a couple trusted friends who i can who i've been who i'm able to show drafts to and um it's get honest feedback and that's um you know, i actually love criticism not like the like not like the nasty internet stuff of like this is the worst thing i've ever seen but the the helpful stuff of like maybe you can expand on this maybe you can change this so 
like just, uh, you know, being able to show that to people and get honest feedback and, and make something, you know, a better finished product is, is really a luxury. So how do you know when a, when a book is good? I think when you, for me, I think believing what the characters are doing is really important. And I think to me, like the, the biggest, the, to me, the, the thing that's like my biggest pet peeve, if, if a character who you're invested in suddenly does something and, and you're just like, Mm-mm, nope, not going to happen. No way. And, you know, obviously there's, there is, um, you know, room for everybody gets a little bit of license because we have to tell a good story, but there's, you know, kind of a threshold. So I think, um, having a character books that have, that are full of characters that you don't completely expect and who are unpredictable, but also believable. I think that's when a book gets really exciting. And, and for me, kind of the, the holy grail in the thriller world in terms of what I think is probably the hardest to write. And also some of the most exciting books are where you have a whole, a whole thriller that's just kind of based on the, um, the personality and the interactions of two people and they play off of each other. So that's those, when that's done well, I think that can be really excellent. Yeah. A a little harder to do. It'd be a little bit more, you really have to explore the characters much deeper. And I, yeah. And I think that the, I think that, I think that the best books come from that. And then, you know, obviously there are other books where sometimes you read a book where you're like, you know, oh my God, this plotting, it's so brilliant. It's like a masterclass. You know, I want to just like, you know, make everybody in, in writing school go read this right now. So I think, I guess those are kind of the two, the different ways, I guess, that, that a book can really be brilliant. But for me, I think probably the ones that really grab me are, are the ones where I, I'm really invested in a character, but also kind of surprised by and not ex- expecting what they're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have something that you don't expect. Um, Wow. Okay. So let's talk about your website and stuff. Where do people find, where do they find you? Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter. It's, um, it's just AlexKennan9. Um, and then I have a website, it's just AlexKennan.com. Um, although I built it myself, so it's pretty bare, bare bones at the moment. Um, and though, yeah, I have a, also on Facebook, although I'm probably more, more active on Twitter. Hey, so anybody you'd want to work with? Um, what do you mean work with? Any any writers out there that you liked and or that you do like and you kind of think, wow, that would be cool. I love I love to work with this person. Like to do a collaboration. Yeah, like to a book book together or a story. I think I probably not. I think um, I think I'm too um, protective. I think I have my I think I have, I guess my story. I think I'd want to be in, in control. I mean, there are there are writers who I'm like a. I totally fangirl about who I think this person's amazing. I just want to pick their brain and, you know, try to write exactly like them. But um, I don't think I would want to do a book with them. I would, I would more want to, you know, be like in a writer's group and, and get their help and how to figure out how to make something better. But I think I'm, I'm kind of a, a one woman operation. Control freak. Mm-hmm, a little bit. <laughs> don't let anything in, you know. Stuff like that. That's cool. Well, there you go. Well, it's certainly been an interesting pleasure speaking with you. And uh, the book we're talking about is What Meets the Eye. It's a mystery. And it just came out here in December, December 6th. So um, the guest is the author, Alex Kenna. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been lovely. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Something with media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.